lump off mom. What's wrong with me? Can you keep your evil doing quiet? Finn is dealing with some heavy stuff over here. Unacceptable! I'm not cut out for adventuring. Finn, you messed the beat up. I just want to sit here and moan. Then I'll moan with you, buddy. This is Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast from the Infinite Guest Network. I'm John Moe. I'm here with Open Mike Eagle. Hello, Mike. Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm okay. We're, we're in different cities today. You're in Los yeah. Angeles and I'm in St. Paul. I'm glad you said that because I was going to forget. I was going to think <laughs> we were in the same place. I'm not just a little man who lives in your telephone. Well, you know what? I do appreciate the reminder. <laughs> I always... I find phone conversation to be hard because sometimes, I don't know if you've run into this, I don't know how many phone interviews you've done, but like someone will talk and then you'll want to jump in, but they won't hear you jumping in. And then you're right. just stuck blathering into the nothingness like an ass. Yeah. You don't get that. You don't get to give them that physical, uh, the cue, that, that cue, that yes. cue. Yes. I'm about to say something. Can you stop what you're saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, right. We don't get that. So we're talking uh, about Adventure Time, and we're going to talk with some of the people who make Adventure Time. Coming up on this edition, we're going to be talking with Hinden Walsh, who is Princess Bubblegum on the show. She's a fascist, but I think the, <laughs> the interesting part is that she wants to help her citizens. She wants to protect them. And how is she going to do that unless she really knows the nitty-gritty of what's going on? And mm. how can she know that without spying? And Mike, did you know uh, where she made her, or I don't know if it was her first movie, but one of her movie debuts, one of her very early movies, you know what movie she was in? No, I don't. It was Groundhog one. Day. Oh, really? Yeah. If you go back and watch Groundhog Day, it's uh, she is part of the young couple that gets married, and it's her and... And Michael Shannon, who's uh, wow, yeah, yeah. So we talked with her a little bit about that, and uh, and about all things Adventure Time. Um, so uh, as we do each time, we we bring in some topics that are that are on our minds, and I want to talk about princesses because in the world of Adventure Time, princess is the highest title one can hope to achieve, and uh, as the as the parent of, uh, of daughters, I have two girls, it's, uh, I've always been impressed with the complexity of the female characters on this show, many of whom right. are princesses. and Lots of princesses. Lots of princesses. And I'm sort of trying to understand it a little bit because not every princess has her own municipality. I mean, the, the mm. princesses run kingdoms, even though they seem to outrank kings. When the king of Ooh, uh, in a very recent episode, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> wins a, a, a barely legal election to be the ruler of the Candy Kingdom, he becomes a princess. He, he right. takes on the title of princess. And, uh, and, but there are some princess, there's Turtle Princess who just works in a library. So I don't know who gets to have a kingdom and how big that kingdom is. I don't know the the mechanisms of of power that lead to these things. Right, cuz Fire Princess has a huge a huge kingdom. Yes. Princessdom kingdom. Yes. Um did she that she governs, you know, with 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 all its hierarchy and citizens. Have you seen uh the episode the Princess Cookie episode? I have not seen that one. Okay, so this is an episode where 
I believe it's, uh, I think the actor is Donald Faison. Is that the guy who's on Scrubs? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, so he is the voice of this cookie who's holding hostages at a convenience store. <laughs> like, wow. You, you open with a shot of a police helicopter, which tells you right away there's there's going to be nothing pastoral or idyllic <laughs> going on here. And uh, and he is, is holding hostages because he wants Princess Bubblegum's crown. And she's, mm. she's outside. She's got a bullhorn. She's behind a barricade formed of banana guards. Um, oh, I think I did see this episode, but keep, yeah, keep, keep, yeah, yeah. Keep on so, for me. and when, when this cookie, Baby Snaps, was an orphan, uh, he was visited by Princess Bubblegum, who told him that, that he could be anything he wants to be in life. And he says, well, I want to be a princess. I told her I wanted to be a princess like her so I could make all the children happy. I want to be a princess like you. <laughs> And she laughed in my face, man. It really messed me up. It, he feels like, well, if she's laughing in my face, then this is just a lie and I really can't be. And and that makes, it makes him screwed up. And he grows up very, very angry, demanding her crown, demanding to be a princess. It's all he wants in life is to be a princess. Wow. And, uh, and <laughs> they send in Jake to to talk to him and Jake says well great I can go in dressed as a mailman and Princess Bubblegum right, right, right. <laughs> she says well you're not a mailman you don't look like a mailman you can be a milkman and so he's just as miserable because he doesn't get to be what he wants to be either exactly and uh, it, I mean, it brings up many issues one of which is who gets to be a princess in this world is right. it is it bestowed upon you or can you opt to be a princess and then it also just I, I watched I watched the episode a long time ago and I just rewatched it today and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's the Caitlyn Jenner story all of a sudden. Oh wow. And also the Rachel Dolezal <laughs> I don't know how you say her name, Dolezal. but her story too. You know, she wants to be That's a true. <laughs> yeah. But what about the Rachel Dolezal uh story i mean i know you haven't seen this particular adventure time episode but you know uh, I, I you know I, I did see it and and as you spoke about it it kind of okay. reminded me of it and yeah there at the crux of that is that um there's you know as, as a as a baby who's bestowed upon this sense that he could be anything mm-hmm. um by his globs a lot like <laughs> lemon grab yes um and and you know once that realization becomes true that you know that, is, that that's not the case then um, what is he to do with this sense that he wants to be something that, you know, according to whatever rules are set up in the Canon Kingdom that he can't, you know? Um, and I guess there's there's some analogs. I've been hearing a lot in the conversation about Rachel D. Yeah. And, and <laughs> how, and I haven't heard her speak about it yet because I haven't watched her interview, but I'm what I'm hearing is that she's saying she identifies as black, and, but there's this there's this instant rejection of that notion and i kind of feel that way too like i feel like really weirded out and off put by that but um but i don't feel the same way about um bruce becoming caitlin and that's kind of an interesting uh yeah interesting place like why is one not okay and the other is okay you know it's like a a a weird kind of thing to have to unpack i i almost don't feel qualified 
right. to begin it's to understand cool. it as as a white guy who identifies as a white guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I I can't imagine being in in either of their situations. Um, but as as a black man, do you feel like how does it work? Do you does she need to get approved to be let into the club of black people? Well, see, this is my thing, and 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 the thing, her whole situation. Why a lot of people have found it fascinating. It's just funny to me because I know a lot of people like that. Like, I remember uh, I tweeted about it when I first heard about it that um, that I'm shocked that so many people have never been to a reggae club because that's that's you know half of the population there typically are white women who identify <laughs> with black culture and they go that far. They try to you know take on physical characteristics and I think um, in that in that sense in that setting. Uh, things are very accepted and and I imagine she's probably spent a lot of time in places like that and and she took it a step further and wanted to you know wanted to take advantage of that or or try to make that work for her and the rest of her life but it to me it's not uh as fascinating of a thing because I feel like I've seen that character uh in my life a few different times a few different ways uh, I don't I, I don't think that it's necessarily an okay thing to do yeah. Um I, and I and I suppose the reason why is I have this thing about about like what somebody's experience is kind of dictating whether or not they're actually in a culture or outside of a culture. And and that's why like I think when when there comes to the usage of certain slurs mm-hmm. and and how um like the n-word in in the black community is kind of used and and then uh there's different words in different groups that outside of the group you might think is it, it might be considered a slur but then inside of the group it's used differently and a lot of people consider that a form of hypocrisy but my stance has always been that if you if you live an experience where you have to understand um what that word means and how that word might be dangerous to you if you're in a place where somebody says it like if that's part of your life and it could mean life or death for you i think you have the option to use it how you want you know right. i think i think it's a different you have a different relationship to the concept if it could mean life or death for you because you're in a system or situation where you don't have all the power is this really my life is this summer story ends being in this body seems like a battle that i cannot win this day a magical life lesson comes to you i wanted to talk about magic i wanted to talk about the wizards the wizards uh, of adventure time oh yeah uh, there was there was an episode recently called don't forget your floaties have you seen that one? Oh yeah it's beautiful oh i love it i love it so much um and the reason i love it so much and one of the main reasons i love it so much is because i really love magic man you do character. i really do he's he is so delightfully insane <laughs> to me. i i love i love how he talks i love how he messes with people uh, I love like just like he'll leave you with a magical boulder on your foot and say, uh, I'm not coming back. And then, you know, you can figure it out. Like there's always some way to to, you know, to 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 get it figured out, to get it under control. But he's just this ultimate weird manipulator. And he talks crazy crazily he sounds like he's singing a mystical magical favor i'm a big fan of his and in that episode where uh he's talking to his assistant and he's uh and his assistant tells him that um all wizards that she's hung out with Mm. and her of course being 
uh, close to Simon the Ice King. All the wizards suffer from magic, madness, and sadness. MMS runs through all magic users. I hung out with scores of them, all displaying varying degrees of magic, madness, and sadness. And it uh, it instantly took me like into the world of creatives and how <laughs> yes, <laughs> how the the darkness that that uh that, that self torture kind of powers a lot of you know a lot of what comes out of creatives. And um, yeah, so I feel this. I feel this this kinship to the wizards in Adventure Time because of that. It surprises me a little bit because when we've talked about Lemon Hope on the show before, uh, you did not like Lemon Hope because he is an anxiety free person. And I, yeah, <laughs> I know, true. I know you to be uh, brimming with anxiety. And yeah, and so to have an empathetic reaction because Magic Man. There's no anxiety there either. There's utter confidence and joy in everything that he does. Well, you know what? I do think I do think there's an anxiety. There's this quiet desperation in Magic Man to get back to the to Mars, mm-hmm. uh, to to reunite with His that uh, that lady, that yet brother and the lady friend. Yes. Um, and even when he does little things, like when he, you know, when he mess, you know, he he wanted. He wanted uh, Jake's sandwich bad enough to, you know, <laughs> like to create a time bubble. I think, yes. you know, he probably could have got the sandwich some other place. You know, he just. I think. I think he's. I think he is confident, but he also has a lot of major flaws. That's a good-looking sandwich. What are you gonna do with it? Something gross. <gasps> it's got my germs, so it's mine now. So you see in Magic Man, not. Uh, not a trickster necessarily, not the the classic archetype of the trickster from mythology. You see, you see a pattern here. You see motivations, and you see uh, desperation. I do. I I think I I think in the overarching goals of his, yes, there's a there's a desperation. There's a sadness. There's his sadness in his you know magic madness and sadness. I think he's experienced great loss, mm-hmm. and um and he has a vendetta. And he's willing to to do a lot of things to uh, go a lot of go a lot of places to to settle the score, in a sense. But also, I mean, he is definitely a, a trickster as well. Talk a little bit, if you would, about about your your empathy with the magic madness and sadness uh, thing. So, if you're putting together an album, say, if you're mm-hmm. getting ready to do a show, what how do these things manifest themselves? Well, I think the magic is is literally the stuff that's created. I mean, and that's kind of making it sound a little loftier than it is. But if it's you know, uh, I, I think in all forms of creativity and um, it's music, it's comedy, it's stand up, it's you know whatever. I, I think there's a muse, and I think you know um, all of us creators are constantly searching for the source of of new inspiration and new material in it. And I think it comes out in a way that could be considered magical mm-hmm. um i think the madness is of course the the uh the constant struggle with the ego mm. you know that goes on um what do you mean in my world for sure um well when you okay let's say you make magic mm-hmm. and you've made and, something that it didn't exist before and now it does right and and let's say you receive some praise for it uh and then there's this there's this struggle of whether or not you take all the credit 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and but then you also have to take all the criticism as that comes. Um, because, you know, of course, nobody likes all of your magic. Some people might hate your magic. <laughs> I was into your earlier um, magic, but that's exactly, new magic. Exactly. So <laughs> and, that, and that's the ego struggle. It's like, is my magic for me? Is my magic for them? <laughs> yeah. Should I, you know, should I follow my new magical impulses? Should I, you know, try to recreate the magic from before? You know, like there's, I, I, and I think that's where the madness comes in. Just that constant kind of conversation back and forth and, and how that contributes to to the making of the magic, you know? I always, I always question whether what I've made is magic at all. Or if like, is it really pulling a rabbit out of a hat, or is it just a dead rabbit at the bottom of a hat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like who am I? I mean, and this is a struggle with ego too. And and I, I know this is the case with a lot of people in radio. Like, who am I to walk up to a microphone and say something, and then right. expect that it's worth everyone else's ears and attention to listen to it? Like, how how big a jerk must you be? Exactly. To presume that that you are worth anybody's time whatsoever, but without that madness, without that ego, the magic, the product never gets made. Exactly. It's that audacity. Yeah. You know, the yeah. audacity in all of us to command that attention. It's interesting how on Adventure Time, the most powerful wizards are the most confident wizards. And maybe they're confident because they're powerful, but it could go kind of both ways um they're powerful because they're they're confident ice king for all his flaws is a very confident guy and a very good wizard acknowledged as such and then on the other end of the spectrum you have abracadaniel who is an unconfident wizard who the best he could do is make a small rainbow appear or or a (laughs) tiny flower temporarily what i was going to ask you though as is your creator yeah you know um, and in that episode, don't forget your floaties. You uh, forgot your floaties, I think it's called. You forgot your floaties, you're right. Yeah. Um, Magic Man's assistant says to him, All magic users swim in the loomy gloom. And I wonder, do you, is that something you experience as a creative? Do you have a, 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 a darkness that kind oh, of yeah. sits inside or you sit inside of? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's always there. And I think it, I mean, I've been criticized on my show or, or been, had it pointed out to me that, uh, that there's a sort of despair and hopelessness in a lot of the comedy that I write for, for my show, for wits, mm-hmm. that, that there are a lot of, uh, characters in impossible situations, uh, who will never get out of them. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is fair and true. <laughs> But I see, I always find I <laughs> I'm of the mind where I find depression to be funny. And this is mm. and, and I have dealt with depression as a clinically diagnosed disorder for many, many years. This is just part of my life as right. you know, as diabetics manage their <laughs> insulin levels, I manage my depression. It's just it's a thing. It's a chronic thing. But the idea that something can happen in your brain that alters the way you see the entire world that mm-hmm. that suddenly uh, you know, something is happening in your brain that shuts down possibilities of hope and optimism and disables you and it's coming right from within you right you know it's like you didn't get hit by this thing it was it 
formed within your brain and then it emerged and then it seized the controls. Like the, the, one of the roots of comedy is the unexpected thing happening. And right. so instead of the brain being in charge, this weird little mean guy got to be in <laughs> charge of the brain. And that is inherently funny to me. Okay, the little guy taking over the the, 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 yeah. the depression, how it the mean guy out of the mind and, and takes over the controls. Yeah. That made me think about, about nightmares. Because I've often thought about that. Like, why is it that sometimes when we are sleeping, there's something inside of our mind that chooses to terrify us during when we're supposed to get rest. <laughs> right. Like, why? What why evolutionary is, why purpose does that place? serve? Yeah. And, and I wonder, is this is that the same guy, you think? The same little dude? I think so. I mean, I, I think there's there's a, a fear, uh, there's an anxiety of what things could go incalculably wrong. And if that's mm. if that's rattling around in your head anyway, if that's somewhere in the recesses and in, in one of the wrinkles and folds of your brain, then uh then maybe it finds its way to you know, to 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 the forefront while you sleep. I mean I like th- there's been studies where sleep, the function of it is to kind of repair the damage to your brain that you've done during exactly. the day is exactly. to to rewire things and put things back where where they ought to be it's a cleanup crew and uh and then the nightmare is is sometimes when when that guy gets in there wow we gotta figure out where that guy is and and <laughs> and then have an ice king moment with him where he realizes the error of his ways and he <laughs> stops he stops kidnapping the princess of our <laughs> controls yeah, I've got I've got to grow a grass sword and cut him to bits. <laughs> We're going to talk about our top 5 princesses. We're going to count them down. We're going to find out if we have some crossover, if we have some of the same princesses in common here. And Mike, I got to ask you because uh, I was thinking about this as I was gathering my list. What were your criteria for gathering your top 5? You know, um, I guess if I think about it that way, uh, the main uh, first bullet point on my rubric was uh, rememberability mm-hmm. because there's a lot of princesses that I did not remember. There are so many and princesses. So, yeah. So so the ones that made some sort of impact on my brain and I could remember them clearly uh, were definitely, they definitely did better in my polling. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think my criteria to separate out the the shortlist was to find princesses who I admired in some way <laughs> cuz I noticed when I was I see. when I was making notes the the ones that stuck with me are the ones who I I just believed in to some extent, but I think <laughs> I think the final ranking came down to just how much they delighted me. But yeah, there are a lot. I, I'm on the the Wikia page for Adventure Time. There are 51 different princesses listed here. Yeah, that's too many princesses. That's a that's lot. Way well, too many. and some of them are are specific to the comic books that I don't think we've ever seen on the TV show, such as Acoustics Princess. I don't, I don't even know yeah. what that is, or Princess Chewy Paste. So. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even read that section. I didn't want to be I did't want to be bothered by non-canon <laughs> <laughs> information. Um, so research. If it's not on television, it does not count. It does not count. All right. Do you want to start with your it number five? Who do you got for your number five? Okay, number five. I have a a favorite of most people um, who I have on this list um, because I I understand her to be important. Yeah. 
but I don't necessarily like her is Ooh, why uh, okay. she's number five on my list. Is is LSP, Lumpy Space Princess. Interesting. I am uh I I find myself rooting for her. Yeah. But I do not really know why. There doesn't she, seem to be any reason for me to do that. She is the underdog. You can't get much more underdog than LSP. Oh, but she's only an underdog because she makes bad decisions all the time, though. You know? Like, it's yeah. hard to sympathize with when you really think about it. But I often do. And I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's down on her luck, but she she has left her home a comfortable home <laughs> in lumpy space to, to live as a hobo in right. the woods on earth or on what's left of earth i'm like a cool hippie at number five i have uh i have turtle princess hey girl who is not an especially beautiful or glamorous princess she may have a kingdom of her own it's hard to tell but most of the time we know her for running the library and and Mm. i i think there's something admirable to me in that she may have uh royalty she may have the ability to live in a in a palace or something but she chooses to spend her time running the library and she speaking of LSP she appears to be Lumpy Space Princess's only friend it's it's actually pretty clear it does appear that way that they're the only friends that each other actually has hey girl are you almost done with your book could could her kingdom possibly be the library? Is that possible? Well, I was thinking about that, but then, and I know that there are some some paper creatures who live there, but wouldn't there have to be more turtles? I have no idea. See, I don't know. See, I don't understand how the the kingdoms work. Yeah, in that way. Yeah. Do the do the subjects have to be similar to the uh, to the royalty? Right. Right. I don't know. I I think uh, I I think there's a lot of things that just seem to have not worked out well in Turtle Princess's life. And it, to me, I, I guess mm. I like her because she carries herself with the demeanor of somebody who's gotten some bad breaks but is just going to find solace in books and is just going to make the best of it by making sure everything is shelved according to the Dewey Decimal System in the best way possible. Wow, John, you, you have actually made me like her a lot more. Just <laughs> you come around. You've turned me around on Turtle Princess. Come. Yeah, just that fast. <laughs> I'm a fan now. Now you're a fan. Uh, all right, I'm yeah. going to move on to my number four here, which is sure. uh, somebody who has been rarely seen. I, I've Apparently the episode that she was most known for, I watched it, and she has maybe five or six lines in the whole episode, and that's Raggedy Princess. I don't remember Raggedy Princess very much at all. Okay, so it, um, she's a something of a rag doll. She probably had arms at one point. It appears they've been ripped off her body. And her most notable feature is a huge shard of glass embedded in her forehead. And wow. <laughs> her only job seems to be to serve as a scarecrow for tree trunks. And even then, she's just been thrown in a pit of some kind by some what she describes as ne'er-do-wells and then left alone there. And even when the story gets resolved, nobody ever bothers to get uh, Raggedy Princess out of the out of the pit. But in this episode and in a couple others, Raggedy Princess goes ahead and flirts with Finn anyway. She has, she clearly has a crush on Finn <laughs> <laughs> and won't let the fact that she's a a filthy uh ragdoll with a glass embedded in her forehead get in the way of uh of pursuing the guy who she really digs and again you know we, we all have obstacles uh and 
I don't think I have an obstacle as as notable or as obvious as a, a piece of glass uh, shoved in my forehead, and I and I think that uh, that we could all take a, a lesson from Raggedy Princess. That's really uh, interesting because her story sounds absolutely horrifying. Yes, and, and I don't even know why you'd want to think about her again, <laughs> let alone <laughs> put her on a list. But that's 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 interesting. What do you what do you think it is about her that uh? That uh that that attracts you to that story. Uh, I think. Well, she's got the way Maria Bamford plays her. She plays a lot of characters. Oh, okay, that's a. And Maria, when she does Raggedy Princess, puts a little giggle in her voice, puts just like the <laughs> the just a faint trace of like a kind of nervous laughter, mostly when she's talking to Finn. Oh hey, hey Finn. <laughs> I like anybody who can who can laugh when things are going against them. All right, well... Who do you got it for? I have um, another popular princess, maybe the most popular princess, which is number four on my list, is Princess Bubblegum. You got PB at four. Okay. Explain why she's on the list and explain her ranking. Well, you know, she's very important, probably the central princess to our our narrative. She's super essential. But it's like the more I know about her, especially after talking about her a lot on this show... Yeah, <laughs> begin to like her less and less as we uh, kind of look at how she um, how she performs her princessly duties, you know, from surveillance. You know, actually, what what gets on my nerves about it when I think about it? What's that? It's how most episodes of Adventure Time begin with her just kind of randomly giving somebody some orders to go do something <laughs> somewhere dangerous. Right. You know, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. You know, and and it's like if if Finn and Jake weren't there what would she even do you know well she but she's got a job to do i mean she's she's got a a government to run and it's you know she's all her citizens are almost all her citizens are pretty stupid so there's there's a lot of pressure running a palace she made them all so that's all her fault too she could have made them smarter (laughs) and she could have made less of them (laughs) she could have made them smarter hey have you ever made candy, people? I think you're you're judging her here. <laughs> I, I could be, <laughs> but it's just that it, it seems like she would need to. Uh, it seems like she willfully forgets that she created all of these issues, and and who told her to? You yeah, know? what was her drive? I think we, I don't know. I think we, I am being judgy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. So so far through through five and four. I've picked two princesses that I, I like and admire, and you've picked two princesses who you dislike and resent. I know. It's a problem. You, you can't you can't leave them off the list because that would be egregious. You know? Right. But but those two I'm not necessarily feeling very well. Um, so we're going to my three now. Going to your three. Yeah. My three is Princess Monster Wife. Oh, she was on. She like made honorable mention for mine. I was I really like her a lot. Okay. Tell us about her. Uh, you know, first of all, there's just the audacity of that name, like Princess Monster Wife. <laughs> Monster it's like wife. somebody wanted to write, they wanted to maybe make Princess Ball and Chain or something <laughs> like that, and it just kind of uh, Princess Inescapable Burden. Work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the thing I, I really enjoy this motif of Adventure Time about um, characters kind of coming from parts of other characters, mm-hmm. and so Princess Monster Wife is created from various princes, pieces of various princesses, uh, Princess Bubblegum, Turtle Princess, Lumpy Space Princess, uh, I think there's ten princesses that her yeah. body parts come from. And Ice and King her. sneaks and she, in and carves those pieces off of the princesses' bodies. 
Right. And he and he puts them all together to make a, a wife for himself who um understandably is kinda horrified by how she looks. Right. And um and, and kinda horrifies other people a bit too. And she tries to find some uh some dignity and all that. But I I really do like that motif of, of characters coming from parts of other characters, like Ricardio coming from uh, you know, the Ice King's heart. I think this connects with your uh your liking of of the Ice King and your your sympathy or empathy for his uh, his mission in life. I agree. Guilty as charged. Well, okay. So at number three, that's where I have Princess Bubblegum, uh, and I think I, I think I like her a lot more than you do because uh, okay because she's really she has all these subjects she has all these children, but she is really truly alone. She has Peppermint Butler, although that's not really the same thing. He's not really a a partner or a confidant. He, she's he's just this. He's a butler. Oh, he's so much more. Well, yes, he's he's also possibly a, a portal <laughs> to an unspeakable evil, but uh, or at least right. to one of the dead worlds. But I th- I do think it's the parent in me that relates most to to Princess Bubblegum out of all the the princesses. That, like that's the part of me that I feel for because she's made all these creatures and then she is kind of worried that they'll somehow get themselves killed or get stuck <laughs> underneath something, get, get wedged somewhere or just make really bad decisions. And, uh, and so she's wondering how, how hands off, uh, to be there's, there's, a that episode where she and, and Finn crawl off to, just walk together through different parts of the castle and she says she says maybe they'll be fine maybe maybe the, her subjects maybe they'll they'll surprise me and be fine and mm. and i think that that's what i often feel with with my kids is like i want to leave them and let them be independent um but you know they're also maybe to some extent they're they're cookies who are going to run into a wall and break off part of their heads or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. I mean, but you know, she does, she goes far in her, uh, the things that she's willing to do to keep her citizens safe. You yes. Know, she gets into surveillance in kind of a, a uncomfortable way. Yes. You know, uh, but you know, those are my gripes. Those are my gripes. Yeah. There, there seems to, there was a turn where she was getting more and more into surveillance. Now there seems to be a bit of a turn away from that. We'll see exactly where that goes. Um, all right, I'll move on to number two here. And at number two, I have a princess who, when she was first introduced, I couldn't quite believe that she was happening. And we've seen her a couple times now. <laughs> and that's Bounce House Princess. Um, mm-hmm. She is a bouncy house uh, who is sentient and wears a crown. Um, I admire that she is is built entirely of of air and easily terrible material, but that she perseveres. I, I, <laughs> I looked some of this stuff up that uh, that she lives in a cave. So if she is one of the if she is a one of the proper princesses, one of the the registered princesses, as they describe them. Um, you know, then then she may have a kingdom somewhere, but she mostly lives in a cave, and uh, and <laughs> I don't know. I there's a, a, a episode where she has a particularly bad encounter with a porcupine, and I I just I think mm. she's on my list because I feel 
I feel so bad. I I feel so fatalistic that, of course, somebody who is a bounce house is eventually going to run across somebody who is a porcupine. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they live in a cave. Even if they live in a cave. There's no safety from the porcupine. You must know at some point if you're a bounce house that a a porcupine is going to enter your life at some point and you're going to have to do something about it. It's like bounce house princesses and porcupines are always both born at the same time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They must. Different parts of the woods. Right, right. They're they're destined and when they run across each other they they know that it is time. Uh, Who do you have at number two, Mike? At number two, uh, I have one of my favorite characters in the entire land of Ooh, who is um, Marceline the Vampire Queen. And I know she's technically not a princess. Uh, okay. Actually, in, in no way, shape, or form really is she a princess. She is, in fact, a but, queen. Um, she, she is, in fact, a queen. And actually, I like her just about, you know, more than most of the princesses. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, she's, well, uh, I mean, she writes beautiful folk music on a real li- on an axe like yeah. a literal axe right <laughs> an axe that is a bass guitar it. yeah sorry i don't treat you like a goddess is that what you want me to do sorry i don't treat you like you're perfect like all your little loyal subjects do sorry, um and and i like how she um she seems to be not afraid to confront any any person uh she has her own space and her own boundaries so she'll get up in PB's face a little bit, and I, and I can appreciate that because a lot of people kind of just roll over mm-hmm. when she says something. But, um, you know, Marceline's not afraid of confrontation. She's just an interesting character with a really long, deep, thousand-year-old backstory that we constantly find out more and more about. She's really one of the most compelling characters on the show to me. All right, well, we've come to number one. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go, with, I'll go first. Who's uh, your number my one? number one is also... Like Marceline, technically not a princess. It is Doctor Princess. Ah, Doctor Princess. Princess is a surname. Princess is just a surname. <laughs> um, she's my favorite. Uh, I kind of when I when I looked at this list too, when I think about it after we're talking about it, another bullet on my rubric seems to be characters ranked in order of who I would most probably like to hang out with in uh, my life. Right. You know. Right. And. Uh, Dr. Princess is super cool and super smart. Wait, uh, so by that, by that standard, you'd rather hang out with Princess Monster Wife than Princess Bubblegum? Yeah, I think okay. I would. <laughs> okay, all right. I think I would. But, but, uh, but Dr. back Princess, to Dr. Princess. She calls penguins, yeah, she calls penguins little tuxedo people. Is uh. there anything better than that? <laughs> There's nothing and, better uh, than that. And there was this theory that she might be Betty, who was uh, Ice King's former... Um, Fiance when he was Simon Petrikoff. Um, that was a theory that they might be the same person. And uh, Penn Ward has come out and said specifically that uh, they are not the same person, but I still think that they might be, and, and that also makes me like her as well. Well, at number one, um, I have your number five. I put Lumpy Space Princess okay. all the way at the top of my list. Number one. Number one. All right. Um, she chooses, and I just jotted down some notes here. She chooses to live in our world, even if it means being a hobo in the woods, even if it means fighting <laughs> raccoons for fried chicken and gathering the sweat of bears. Those bears did not want to give up that sweat, but it keeps the rodents from nibbling my lumps while I sleep. She could return to lumpy space, but she just couldn't get along with her parents. Um, and it's... You know, there, there's a lot that's funny about the way she talks and the, you know, oh my God, and all that. 
But to me, <laughs> the, the central decision that she makes of, I would rather struggle in this material world than live in comfort up in space, it's a theme that I realize was repeated in the in the season finale of the most recent uh, season, where where uh, the comet, the catalyst comet, Tignataro, the mm-hmm. big red blobby thing, offers Finn a chance to move on to a new sphere of being, and he says, "Yeah, I'd, I'd rather just stay down here in meat space because I've I've put all this time into it, and I kind of want to see how it turns out." And it's it's the same thing I think with Lumpy Space Princess. She could live in a much more abstracted, uh, possibly more comfortable world, um, but instead just lives in a crappy lean-to and, and sleeps in a sleeping bag uh, and has a series of confrontations with, with wild animals. And so there, there's the comic value of Lumpy Space Princess. There's the pathos right. of LSP that, that I relate to and that I have a fondness for. But I think it's the the stubbornness of making a decision and then just doggedly trying to make the best of it and uh, and and go forward from there that I think got me. And you know, it's funny you said you mentioned stubbornness. I was about to ask you how you how it is you think that her ego is able to survive. Uh, you know, all of this constant. Uh, you know these these troubling dark situations he ends up in desperation living in the woods and right uh, she seems to maintain this ironclad ego throughout the thing and i was going to ask you what you thought that reason was but then you said stubbornness and i think that's the answer <laughs> i think that's the answer like she refuses to to uh to to get out of that space and i wonder you know it's it's kind of interesting um because i i think about people in real life and, yes. and feel like somebody who was like that, who might may have been pampered uh-huh. and kind of used to being spoiled. It, it they went and lived in the woods. You figure that would kind of change their values a little bit. But with her, just nothing really seems to get. No, through. it galvanizes you know? her if, uh, more than more than anything. Success isn't about skills. It's about being cool. Hinden Walsh is with us, the voice of Princess Bubblegum, among uh, a few other characters. And Hinden, you'd seen the Adventure Time pilot when you went into audition originally. What did you think about it back then? I thought it was brilliant. I thought I thought it was so exciting and so new and so funny and amazing. Um, I just knew the show would be you know, galactically huge <laughs> based on the pilot. Well, you say it, it seems so new, and I know that you do a lot of voiceover work, a lot of different projects. What struck you as so new about it? Oh, wow. Um, well, let's start with the artwork, the colors. It's amazing the way the characters move. Um, it, it's just it's got a whole different color palette, which shows a whole different perspective. And of course, Penn is such a genius and he allows the writing to go everywhere. There's never a time on the show where you're like, wow, well, how are they going to come up with another story for next week? You know, (laughs) we're out of stories here. That can never, ever happen on Adventure Time because the world is so big. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole universe, really. Here's the thing. Here's what I really think. Okay. Um, I think the writers have so nailed this 
in writing to a multi-generational audience uh-huh. um, in such a subtle way with such wit and intelligence and also such innocence simultaneously. Literally, if you're five and you like adventure stories and princesses, you're going to love the show. Or if you're 47 and you're an award-winning television writer, you're going to sit around with your friends and love the show. How are they doing it? I'm not sure. I think it's the invention of the language. The lingo has always been magnificent on Adventure Time. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it's fun to repeat that stuff at school the next day. That guy's going to dingle our bones into tapioca pudding. I knew we were doing this today, so last night I caught up. And I watched all the end of uh, the last episodes that aired. Oh, you hadn't seen them yet? No. End of season six. Uh Um, But talk about, I mean, it's dealing with dream symbolism. And if Finn says, sees the cosmic owl in a dream, it says, Whoa, the cosmic owl? Does that mean this dream is important? Is this a prophetic dream? And is this stuff all symbolic or literal? What does it all mean, boy? I'm sure you can't tell us, but I would be, I would regret it if I didn't ask. Is Princess Bubblegum going to stay in that bat covered house with Peppermint Butler, or is she going to return to the Candy Kingdom? Well, I might or might not know the answer to that. Okay. Which, revealing nothing. Yes. I do recall, I do recall there will be. Some good porch sitting happening <laughs> and old fashioned, like, uh, you know, do it yourself kind of renovation project. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's good. She gets a chance to work with her hands a little bit. I think that's good. You've spent a lot of time with uh, Princess Bubblegum by now. How would you describe her to someone? Like, if someone says, What's the character you play on the show? What's she like? What would you tell them? Well, I think I'd start with the uh, Wikipedia definition of Princess Bubblegum, which is she's a princess slash scientist. And I would also then say she's kind of a benevolent fascist (laughs) made out of some sort of gum something ooze and is a big inventor and creator of anthropomorphic creatures and sometimes experiments on them. Yeah, yeah. She, she is, she's the ruler of a kingdom, but it's a kingdom populated with her own creations. Yes, exactly. She's always kind of riding a little bit of a dark line. Which, uh-huh. And the way the writers have written it is so complex. Well, yeah, I mean, she's been struggling with this kind of being overly nosy, especially in in the last couple of seasons, lots of surveillance on her subjects. Uh, what what did you think about that storyline when that started to emerge? I thought it was exactly in character with her. I mean, she's she's a fascist. She's absolutely <laughs> in control of what's going on. But I think the, the interesting part is that she wants to help these creatures. She wants to help her citizens. She wants to protect them. And how is she going to do that unless she really knows the nitty-gritty of what's going on? And mm-hmm. how can she know that without spying? Right. right. 
See, it makes sense when you think about it. Right. It's what any fa- benevolent fascist would do. Um, do, do you go into it? Because like, so, something that, that really struck me is when it was sort of revealed that she was not actually 17 or 18 years old, but hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Um, do you have to know the full backstory behind Princess Bubblegum to say every line? Or is it just show up at the studio, say your lines and go home? Yes, I I really like to know as much as possible, but over the seasons, things have been very slowly revealed. So it's been a learning experience. Um, and yeah, I think we were only playing her as kind of pretty, pretty princess for the very beginning of the first season. Uh-huh. And then she started flipping tables over and screaming in German. <laughs> And you're like, okay. Ich bin so glücklich. Ich könnte, ich könnte. What was it about the character of Princess Bubblegum that really drew you to her? What did you what did you identify with and really feel right away? Oh, that's a hard question. Honestly, I mean, I love her logic. I mm. love her mind. I love that she's brilliant and strong. But really when I when I truly fell in love with her (laughs) was upon realizing (laughs) that, you know, her citizens are, are bonk. Like they're just, (laughs) it's no good help at all. And as smart as she is, she has absolutely no one to talk to. So that kind of, I don't know. I really felt her then. What What are some of those recording sessions like? I, I it, we talked to John DiMaggio a while ago, and he said that uh, he told me that you guys often record together in the same room. Yes, we record on Tuesday afternoons, and we all have the same places we sit uh-huh. <laughs> in the studio, and it's it's quick through. We don't do any rehearsals um, usually. Almost always what we'll do is we'll, we'll do like a run of three pages or so. Mm-hmm. And then Kent Osborne's voice directing wonderfully, brilliantly. And he'll basically go, great, get another one for safety. And then that's it. And then we move on to wow. the next three pages. Is there improvisation or people making stuff up on the spot? Sometimes. Um, sometimes we'll rephrase things here and there, but not, not too much. The writers are just so nailing it. Um, this, the one thing that's different about recording Adventure Time than say like recording Teen Titans Mm -hmm. is we're recording the storyboard. So they board it first, then we record it. So we have a big screen in, in the booth where we can actually see the skeleton of the action that's going on and, like, the expressions on our characters' faces, which makes it very, very easy oh, yeah. to give voice to, as opposed to just seeing um, typed out on the page, e e u ah wa ha 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 because you kind of go, wait, what are, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have to ask you, uh, I was... I was uh, watching Groundhog Day the other day and I was like who I know that voice from somewhere you were <laughs> you were in Groundhog Day as as the part of the young couple 
you and Michael Shannon, right? Yes. As the couple trying to get married or having gotten married, what are your strongest memories of working on that film of Groundhog Day? Well, I was really young, and I just moved to Chicago, and it was my first feature film. Good one. Yes, yeah. (laughs) And um, what I remember, which was, you know, I didn't know any better at the time, but of course on a major feature film, you're going to get a lot of coverage. You're yes. going to shoot it from every angle and close-up and medium and long shot. You're going to shoot it around the corner and above and below and all that stuff. Uh-huh. It takes weeks and weeks to do. But in the case of Groundhog Day, every scene was the same as every other scene. Like you'd have six scenes that are in the diner that are exactly the same except for one little change at the end. Yeah. So the amount of coverage you're getting is like times a thousand. (laughs) I mean, people were ready to tear their hair out of like, oh my God, if we do this scene one more time. Um, (laughs) I mean, of course, there's the most, most, most brilliant movie, and wow, am I proud to be in it. Well, you know, Adventure Time and Groundhog Day have something in common besides you participating in both, which is that they both have these premises that they never really bother to explain, and you just have to accept them. Like, it's never explained why he keeps repeating the same day over and over again, or why there's a a talking cinnamon bun walking around. You just have to accept that it is. easy to accept because in both cases the worlds are absolutely filled out and complete that's hinden walsh the voice of princess bubblegum thank you to hinden for joining us on conversation parade an adventure time podcast which is a production of the infinite guest network in american public media it's hosted by me, John Moe, and also Open Mike Eagle. Uh, there at Infinite Guest, you can check out Mike's podcast, Secret Skin, as well as my show, Wits. The Adventure Time end credit song that you've heard here on Conversation Parade was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. Thanks to Larissa Anderson, Steve Nelson, and Peter Clowney for helping make this podcast happen. Special thanks, too, to Cartoon Network. We'd love to hear from you, what you want to hear on the show, what you'd like to hear us talk about. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at John Moe. He's at Mike underscore Eagle. And we're all at Infinite Guest. Thanks.